Hey there, this is food writer Jamie Lewis, welcoming you to another episode of The Consumed Podcast, where I hold candid and casual conversations with people across California's central coast, the ones who put food on our plates and drinks in our glass. I'm so glad you're here. Before we get to this episode's guest, I want to share a word from Consumed Sponsors. We all know eating fruits and veggies is an important part of staying healthy. Fresh, local produce has the most flavor and nutrition, but how do you know what's in season locally? Become part of the Tally community as a member of the Tally Farms Box Program. Tally grows their produce and partners with other California farmers to include the freshest and best-tasting local produce you can find anywhere. Farming on the Central Coast since 1948, the Tally family created the Tally Farms Box to make healthy eating easy and affordable. Here's how it works. Select which size box you want, then choose pickup or home delivery and how often you want to get your box. It's flexible for customization and vacation holds, and included in all boxes are tested recipes and storage recommendations. Come be a part of Tally's healthy lifestyle. Visit tallyfarmsbox.com and use promo code CONSUMED for $10 off your first box. That's promo code CONSUMED for $10 off. Eat fresh, eat local, and eat lots of California fruits and veggies for better health. Slow Life Magazine also sponsors the Consumed Podcast. Slow Life looks at what's going on in San Luis Obispo including the arts, real estate, business, and the people impacting culture here. For the magazine, I just wrapped up writing my food column about the restaurant Pekin Coastal Cocina in Pismo Beach, where I ate swordfish tacos dusted with house-made savory pop rocks. What? So fun, so new, and so fizzy. To read all about it and much more, get your copy at slowlifemagazine.com. So I recently read The Full Belly Files, which is written by a consumed alum, wine writer Matt Ketman in Santa Barbara. And who should he be writing about but none other than Santa Maria Valley vintner James Onaveros of Ranchos de Onaveros Vineyards, another consumed alum and sponsor of this podcast. About James, Matt wrote, Ontiveros is a wealth of fascinating information, whether of the region's lore, his cowboy days, or his outlook on the future challenges of the wine industry. I'm hoping he'll agree to be a cover story one day. Hmm, I'm hoping the same. Thank you to James Onaveros for keeping the history and heritage of the Central Coast alive and well through his wines at Ranchos de Onaveros. And thank you to Matt Ketman for recognizing a good cover story when he sees it. To learn more about Ranchos de Onaveros' burgundy-centered Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, visit ranchostayonaveros.com. Okay, on to the episode. I find it so totally cool that Julia Child, the godmother of American cuisine, spent the final years of her life in Montecito, California, just up Highway 101 from where I live in San Luis Obispo. She was a big fan of Santa Barbara and the Central Coast, and she invested her energy here until her death in 2004. Since then, her longtime friend Eric Spivey has grown the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts into a purposeful organization that consults with media like the recent documentary Julia and the HBO Max series, also called Julia. The foundation also presents the Julia Child Award in Washington, D.C., in association with the Smithsonian Museum, and it makes grants to those who influence the way America cooks, eats, and drinks. 
I visited Eric in his Montecito home and indulged in a bit of Julia lore. I also learned about ongoing events like Taste of Santa Barbara and the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, both associated with her foundation. Find more information about all of these on the show notes for this episode and enjoy my talk with Eric Spivey of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Thank you so much for letting me come to your gorgeous house that is from 1921. One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You just took me on a tour and um, we went through the old bank vault, which is now your cellar. And it's just, you know, people say that living in Santa Barbara and Montecito is the good life. And it's like, you get to see it up close and it really is. We're pretty lucky. It's really, so to be great. Here. Yeah. How long have you lived here? We moved back here, my wife and I, in 2000. So my wife and I met at UCSB in the 70s. Oh, okay and uh, left in early 83, mm-hmm. 1983, and then didn't return until 2000. Okay. And uh, just at the time Julie was moving back full time. So that was about 2000 when she came mm-hmm. back? Okay. Yeah, 2000. It took a while, but over 2000, 2001, she moved back full time. Did you meet Julia through your connection to going to UCSB or being headquartered here? Is it an older relationship? It is. Well, it was met. I met her at Santa Barbara, um, actually at the Biltmore, which is right down below our home here in 1981. At the first meeting, I think it was the first, if not one of the first, of the American Institute of Wine and Food, which Julia, Bob Mondavi... Uh, Dick Graff, Mm -hmm. Richard Sanford here locally had started an organization and they were thinking about having a full-time building out by UCSB. Mm -hmm. And so I was selling wine going through college and Mm. uh, had a chance to meet with her then and spent a little bit of time with her uh, over that time period, about 81, 82, before we left Mm -hmm. Santa Barbara. And then when we moved back to Santa Barbara in 2000, she just happened to be moving back and yeah. we reconnected. She lived close by at Casa Dorinda, which is a okay. retirement home. Oh, yes, right. Okay. So uh, that's how we reconnected and then became quite close later on in her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, upon her death, uh, I became the chair of her foundation. Right, okay. I mean, would, would college-age Eric Spivey have ever thought that that would be what you're doing now? No. Uh, although I always had an interest in wine food, particularly wine at the time. Because I was studying at UCSB as an economics environmental studies major. Oh, okay. And I did my senior thesis on the economics of small wineries. Oh my gosh. And what year did you say that was? It was 82. So was, like yeah. just really starting to get traction around yeah, here. Yeah. And my advisor was Richard Sanford. Oh my gosh. So one of my, my, my son, we have three children, but my son is named Sanford after Richard. Oh my gosh. And yeah. he and Tekla are good friends. But, and they were very good friends of Julia's as well. Yeah. Um, but so I was doing my senior thesis, studying a bit up at Davis as well as UCSB, hmm. and uh, Richard was advising me. And then uh, once I finished my thesis, the the summary was go f- make money somewhere else and then come back and buy mm-hmm. a winery. And so ended up not going in, starting a winery, which I thought I was going to yeah. coming out of college, and uh, instead went back to business school. Did you go back east for that? Went back uh, to the southwest, uh, Austin, Texas. Oh, one of my all-time favorite cities. Yeah. It was very different back then. It was yeah. 83 to 85 we lived there. Was it a little um, little quirkier even than it is now? Well, it was probably quirkier. The traffic wasn't nearly as bad. The traffic is like... 
unbelievably yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. So, and we live close into town, right near the Capitol, in what is now considered the cool area of South Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then it wasn't necessarily cool, but we bought a small little home, about $70,000, $75,000. Yeah. And my wife was putting, paying for me to go through business school there. Mm. And she worked at Lockheed in, in Austin. Yeah. So we lived there for two years, and then uh, we moved to New York, in New York area for six years, mm-hmm. where I worked for a large multinational information services technology company mm-hmm. doing international business, primarily strategy and M&A for them around the world. Has that, that must have been valuable as you're doing the foundation work now. Uh, tremendously valuable for lots of different things, yeah. yeah. And so did that for six years, a lot in Asia Pacific and Latin America, and then for a year in Europe. Mm-hmm. but all based in New York, but I was gone most of the time traveling, uh, whereas my wife was stuck back in <laughs> in the New York area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved to Chicago for a year, and then we ended up moving to Mexico and Latin America for three years, and oh then Australia word. for three years, where I ran companies for the, for the multinational company. Wow, that's a lot of moving. Did you stay in touch with Julia this whole time? Uh, no. No, we... Uh, we saw her once or twice. I mean, yes, we saw her, but it wasn't like we were pen pals and we were writing. So there was a big gap. I mean, I stayed very much involved in wine and food, and my wife actually was on the board of AIWF, American Institute of Wine and Food, in New York, the New York chapter when we were living there, 83, and um, I'm sorry, 85. And uh, she was the, the on the board of Danny Meyer and oh, lots yeah. of other people in the New York area. So we stay involved, you know, with the wine food industry but uh that wasn't where i was making my money yeah right 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 for so many of us that's a side hustle side gig that's fun yeah um well so i mean i had talked to you maybe i don't know six months ago or something and was trying to get you on the podcast at the time it was timely because the um the movie about julia the the documentary the documentary right was just releasing, um, and so my timing wasn't great there, but I feel like that momentum has not stopped with this fervor for people wanting to know about her. Um, Now there's the show on, what's the? HBO show, Max, has a show, a scripted TV series that we worked on with them, and it's about a story about her and her beginnings on television Mm -hmm. uh, through public broadcasting and the first wave of Julia after she'd already written her book uh, the her first book Mastering the Art of French Cooking with Mm -hmm. some partners and came back to living in America and and got on television just for a a one-off shot uh, in Boston and that turned into uh, many many years of you know being on television yeah Uh, just amazing yeah, but there's a, there's just a tremendous amount of interest in Julia, and, and there always has been. I mean, when I was uh, spending a lot of time with her the last three, four years of her life here in Santa Barbara, whenever I would go out with her, which was quite often lunch or dinner, and you'd walk into a restaurant and people would clap and stand up and want to go meet with her, and she's so gracious. And then, of course, she would go to the back of the kitchen and meet with everybody, dishwasher on up mm-hmm. to uh, at the end of the evening. So it was a lot of fun. But Julie is the best salesperson for Julia. Mm-hmm. So what we're really trying to do as a foundation is to make sure that people see her. 
And how do you see her? You see her through giving access to her old TV shows, which we now have on a lot of streaming platforms. And that goes through you then? Well, we, we allow it to happen and we get yes. proceeds from it. Okay. And uh, so we do that, which you know is getting a lot of traction. So if you go on Amazon Prime, you can watch all the French Chef TV shows oh, that's originally. So good to know, and I'm so happy that it's benefiting the foundation. The foundation, yes. right? And then that allows us to gift out monies to nonprofits in the food right. world. But so there's that. But you go back all the way to 2009 with the movie Julie Julia, yeah. with Nora and Ephron did, and um, Meryl Streep played Julia. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, the first time since a long time that Julia was on the New York Times bestseller list for her first book, Mastering the Art of French yeah. Cooking, Volume 1. And that was just, that drove that interest. And so 2009, we had that. Um, and since then, we've just continually been working on getting Julia up in front uh, of the public because we want to make sure new generations of people, mm-hmm. kids, your kids, your children's yes, age exactly. that I just met, yeah. nine and twelve-year-olds that are you know get exposed to her, and mm-hmm. so we have a large partnership with the National Museum of American History at the Smithsonian, Smithsonian in DC. Yeah. I'm not. Have you been there? Have you? Been I have. To see want, we actually almost went to DC in April, but COVID, whatever. Sure. Um, but I find it interesting. I find it really um, wonderful that the Smithsonian, you know, our our national archive of things that are important to us as Americans, right. that they were wise enough or whoever made the decision to take Julia's kitchen piece by piece and either... And reassemble it. Reass- okay, so it's the original, it's not replica. It's a, no, 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 it is the original. And so what happened, the story behind that is that Julia made a decision to move back to Santa Barbara, was going to therefore leave her home in Cambridge, Mass. She gifted that to Smith College where she went mm, to school. Right. And the new owners were not going to use the kitchen. And so there was an article in the newspaper, I forget it was USA Today or something, and the curators at the museum in D.C. read this and mm-hmm. looked up Julie in the phone book, because Julie was listed in the phone book. I love it. Even here in Santa Barbara, 805-969-3662. I remember it. <laughs> Hello. But people can <laughs> just look it up and give her a call. Yeah. And so they cold called her and said, we want to come up and talk to you about something, thinking that they might want to take one or two little things out of her kitchen or whatever. And by the end of the, that first day when they were talking with her, the museum just went, oh, my goodness, mm. what if we could do the entire thing, which the museum typically does not want because they have so much objects already. Sure. So to take on that big of a thing, and most things, not most, a lot of things go into storage and never actually are shown or rotated in and out. Yeah. But what happened was they got approval internally and brought it back piece by piece, reassembled it, and that became the cornerstone of a food exhibit that's still existing today and really is the most visited or one yes. of the most visited sites at the museum and the stickiest site because what you have is you're looking at Julia's kitchen, but across just the way is a streaming uh, video of Julie on screen yeah and sometimes even probably in the kitchen but a lot of times not but it's that thing where just it stops people in their tracks mm-hmm. and grandpa's two six-year-olds are sitting on little chairs watching Julia yeah. but then get up and look at her kitchen and then look at the entire food exhibit mm-hmm. which is really a, a history of not just cooking but a history of regulation of immigration of technology yes. all those things but Julie is the cornerstone. And so what we've 
done is really solidified that relationship with the with the museum and created an award called the Julia Child Award, mm-hmm. which is um, much like the Pritzker Prize in Architecture, a yes. singular award given each year. Yeah. Very different than the Beards. The Beards are great awards, yeah. but there's many nominees, many categories. I just sat through the Beards Awards in Chicago. It's so fun. Did you go? I did. I uh, watched it. I watched it because Tony Tipton Martin was this yes. year's. Uh, Tony Tipton Martin was uh, was there. Um, this year's one was Grace Young, uh, the recipient. Yes, it's exactly. coming up in October, right. and so I was watching that. But I saw Tony and Grace together, yeah. and lots of other people. And she's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but I, I appreciated it for those kinds of things where you know I Grace Young was not on my radar right. at all. But what she did for Chinatown Towns. and like listener, you probably. You, may not know but this amazing woman a food um historian food and historian and two cookbooks yeah one about walks the, really the history of walks but also how to use walks and uh, is just a beautifully warm and incredible yeah. person but had never really fully leaned in and became a voice yeah. like she has during covid because she saw her um her Chinatown in New York closing down and mm-hmm. all these businesses that have been there forever and are vital parts of the economy in, in mm-hmm. New York were being closed. And then you add that, the AAPI sort exactly. of stuff that's going on. And so she's really become a voice for things that are just amazing. But yeah. So we created this Julie Child Award eight, nine years ago in partnership with the museum, but yeah. it's our award, the Foundation's Award. Um, but what we do is each fall we put on an event in Washington uh, that is a three-day Smithsonian Food History Weekend, but the first evening is the Julia Child Award mm-hmm. presentation and a gala, and it's a fundraising not for the foundation, but it's a fundraiser for the museum to expand that food exhibit because oh, we fantastic. see that as a vehicle to drive back to how do you get new generations of people. You get four and a half, five million people a year going through that museum. Yeah. A lot of them young people, a lot of fourth graders, fifth graders that course, go to right. D.C. And if we can get them to see Julia, you know, in her kitchen, but also her on screen, mm-hmm. you get people, you lock them in. Yeah. So those that's been our goal. And so we've got these two new TV shows. One is that one you just mentioned, mm-hmm. HBO Max. Another one is a Julia Child Challenge, it's called. It's on Cooking Challenge. I was, that is Have you so seen funny. Not just seen it. Okay. I was on a road trip last summer. This is so funny. You're jogging my memory. You know when you're traveling and you get an email and it's like, I'll deal with it when I get home. Right. Well, I got this, I think it was maybe actually a DM in, on Instagram from the show saying, hey, we see that you like to cook. Oh, they, they want to see if you want <laughs> to be one of the contestants? <laughs> and oh, I was wonderful. like, you know what? I'll get back to you when I get home from this trip. And then I, I think I never did or something uh-huh. like yeah, that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But so maybe explain the concept of that show. Right, yeah. So the concept is really a nice one because, again, it's, it's very Julia-like. It is not a cutthroat cooking competition where people are trying to win at the loss of somebody else. You know, right. you know. So it's very much kind-hearted, more like the Great British Bake Off. It's a... It's, a, it's one that they had, I think we had maybe eight or nine, I can't remember the number of original home chefs mm-hmm. that were brought on to a stage that was somewhat re- reminiscent of Julie's Kitchen, mm-hmm. same coloring, some aspects, but then this big, huge TV, and Julie became the co-host of this 
TV show. Oh my goodness. Where she was doing, we were doing old runs of her TV shows, cooking instructions, but also about inspiration about how to be fearless in the kitchen, not worry about failure, those types of things. And so it was a thing that uh, our executive director of the foundation, Todd Shulkin, I'm not mm. sure if you met Todd. He, d- he runs the podcast, uh, or is the uh, host, he, Yeah, right? he's the host of our yeah. podcast, Inside Julia's Kitchen. But he also was very involved and was on set when this was being filmed. And, uh, and he just came back saying, this is going to be great. And it was. It was a really, if you don't, if you haven't watched it, it's on, you can get it on uh, Food Network or Discovery. Okay discovery how lovely and how different from say some unnamed cooking shows where somebody's being screamed at right 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 exactly like this is julia child yeah yeah it's just night and day so julie is the co-host as i said so you know there's no screaming going on there's a lot (laughs) they're judges some of them that most of them that really knew julia quite well and uh it's it's just a it's just a fun but very competitive in a good way and but all the competitors are helping each other and the person, I won't spoiler alert on this, but the person that actually wins is just magnificent. And it's almost a kind of a mini Julia, you know, in mm-hmm. sense of she has so much of her spirit and charisma and uh, ability to actually communicate and educate. Yeah. So the spirit that you talk about for Julia, I mean, what I see is, I mean, the reason that she's that it's brilliant she's featured at the Smithsonian for a couple reasons that room is not just any room right it's extremely tuned into who she was I mean down to the height of the counters of course right her pegboard holding all her pots and pans and just intensely practical right which is one of the things I think that is so lovely about her because a lot of people think of French food in particular not that she's only about French food right. but that's the entry point yep. for a lot of people think that it's fussy and that it's precious um and that it's there's no access point to it Mm -hmm. so something that i love about her that i think translates through that room being featured at the great american museum right is access practicality humor Mm -hmm. never nothing on pretense right it's one of the things, I mean, I was going to ask you to answer this, but it looks like I'm answering Yeah, you, you're doing a better job than I could do. So, well, I continue. just love, I love that for as beautiful and clearly she appreciated food so much. Like, I mean, I, I hear that till the end of her life, she was savoring everything. Yeah. Um, no matter what style or, you know, how much it cost, she really cared about whatever she was eating. But that... Um, there is no pretense and uh, that's a uniquely american quality that i appreciate very much yeah um, she smiled a lot americans people often say that they know an american abroad or yeah. out in the field because we smile and they find that yeah. very foreign and julia just smiled and um that laugh and that funny voice and like never put on airs I don't think no and the nice thing is that she was in person the same person that Love she was it. on screen yeah. so what you saw is what you get in real life um, and that was I think what's so special about Julie is that she was just deeply interested first of all in things people in terms of how to do things so even late in life she would go to different 
you know, AICP meetings, and she would sit in the front row and raise her hand and ask questions. And mm-hmm. so she never stopped learning, let alone educating. Yeah. And uh, that kind of willingness to roll up her sleeves and just be one of many, um, even though she'd done so many great things, is just a just something everybody should try to emulate. Totally. You mentioned that um, television, that part of her life, was kind of one phase, right? So the first phase perhaps being writing that monstrous cookbook. Well, and actually, to be fair, there's that whole massive phase before she even picked up a kitchen knife, right? Right, right. It's one of my greatest inspirations that she didn't start until she was like 37, is right. that right? exactly. No, yeah, I mean, she grew up a kind of reasonably wealthy girl in Pasadena. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually one of the reasons why she loved Santa Barbara so much is she summered here in her youth, mm-hmm. and uh, so she knew Santa Barbara really well. But she went back to school not with a lot of idea of what she wanted to do. She certainly had never seen the inside of a kitchen other than to say hello to the maid. So she had right. never cooked herself, and it really wasn't until she was overseas um, during the war that she met Paul Child, her mm-hmm husband uh, played by Stanley Tucci I know when you when you say Paul Child I'm like oh you mean Stanley Tucci yeah and yeah. and in the new HBO Max <laughs> it's David Hyde Pierce oh it's perfect and he does a great job as well He's and great Sarah everything. Lancaster does Julia so great actors and all these different things but uh, so he she met uh, Paul and he was older um, you know more sophisticated mm-hmm. you might say in terms of his experience having already lived in Paris fluent in French and mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't fall in love immediately, but you know, over time they did, and ended up he got positioned to to after the war to be in Paris, and that's part of what my uh, my the book my life in France is her, the last book she wrote with her grandnephew, Paul's grandnephew uh, Alex Prudhomme, um, but it was also used as half of the uh, for the half that book was used for half of the movie of Julie and Julia, right, right. so. But so she learned, you know, later in life and went to, to cooking school there and then met two other women and spent 10 years, roughly nine, 10 years writing a book. Yeah. You know, and this was back in the days where you're typing and handwriting oh, and gosh. sending manuscripts and she got rejected so many times um, in terms of trying to bring this book and get it published in the U.S. And it was, wasn't until Judith Jones, yeah. her editor for forever, um, did that. And so, yes, so the first part of her life was, uh, you know, kind of just being a relatively wealthy young girl, not really knowing what she wanted to do in life. Then the next phase, she understood the war was going on. Lots of things were happening. She got more serious, but not knowing what she was going to do really in life, marries this man, moves over to France, has her first meal and decides I this is what I want to do. Like on the beach, basically, yeah. when the yeah. when the um, steamer pulls in, Yeah, right? yeah, basically, yeah. They went to a restaurant nearby and that Paul had been to before, and that first bite of fish sort of changed her life, at right, least. That's right. what she says. And so, uh, but it's hard work, and it wasn't, didn't come easy to her. She had to overcome a lot of, she was one of the few women chefs at Cordon Bleu at that time. There was a lot of GIs, um, men, you know, that were, you know, on a, were being paid to go to cooking school because that's what they want to do after the war. But the, here she was, this tall, you know, gangly, 
uh, woman that was was one of only I think th- you know that maybe the only woman at points in in that cooking mm-hmm. program and uh, and sort of muscled her way in and then found a way through time to write this book and she was a great writer um, it wouldn't have been published without her but she had two other people in that first book and uh, and then she there she comes on to moves back to Cambridge and kind of flips an omelet and. And there right. you go on on screen, and uh, people in the local area of Cambridge wanted more of her. Yeah. And so, th- I don't know how many years it was—six years of French Chef or whatever it was—but that. But then she had to morph herself throughout the, her career because yes. public television was really where she always wanted to be. She did things with Jacques mm-hmm. Pepin and did lots of other things. But then she also pivoted a little bit later in life to to abc good morning america oh yes i don't even think about that yeah and so the documentary that just came out with uh about julia by the same directors as did rbg RBG. right and just recently the same directors did one on gabby giffords if you know gabby yes yeah yeah so they're great directors i mean i don't know her. yeah yeah but but you know of her story i wish i knew her yeah yeah (laughs) and so uh you know, in that you'll see. You know, I think um, who's the guy on ABC? I'm now forgetting his name, but the 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 lead sort of morning broadcaster there at ABC. Good Morning America. Oh gosh, Charles Gibbons, maybe. Yes, uh, that's I, it. Something. Charlie Gibbons Ch- or Charlie or something. Gibson. Gibson. Gibson sorry. There we go. <laughs> we found it. Thank you. Uh, he kind of fell in love with her yes. and. Uh, not romantically, but you know, just. But he's he is enamored with her. Yeah, in he that I saw the documentary, and there was he's... a lot of flirting going on. And Julia, yeah. throughout life, was a great flirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, she liked men more than women. Not she had great women friends, yeah. but she really did enjoy, kind of, men, um, mm-hmm. and uh, in a platonic way, but in a very flirty way at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think you have footage that you can see of her, on. You know, um, David Letterman uh, mm. show at night show <laughs> where she made him lover, uh, uh, mm. Johnny Carson, whatever. You know, she was she had that ability. But so then she morphed into that, and then she continued to both write books and do TV shows, to you know late in life, uh, and never stopped learning, never stopped wanting to teach, and never wanted to stop wanting to be around people. Mm. You know, her her whole goal here in Santa Barbara late in life was was to really go out and you know, she'd have breakfast at Casa Dorinda, which is the place, the communal area. Mm-hmm. She loved their bacon. Mm-hmm. But then lunch and dinner, if she had a chance, uh, she'd like to, you know, get out of there and go to lunch. And she had lots of visitors, you know, people, yeah. friends from around the world would want to stop in and see her. Um, but she was out and about. Yeah. I, I Another thing that I love about her is, I mean, I feel fine saying this because she seemed like such an open book. I feel like, like you say, what we saw was kind of what we got. Um, I know that she was very active all the way through her life. And who among us doesn't want to be that? She never like, um, you know, calcified and sat and watched TV all day. Like nothing like Mm -hmm. that. Um, I also love that I knew what you said about her loving men and being comfortable with men. But she loved her sister so much, Mm. right? Dorothy. They 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 had a very, Dort, had a very close, sweet relationship. They did. They're both six, I think, six, two, six, three. I think Dort might have been slightly taller. Uh, Yeah, they had such a good relationship. Mm -hmm. And... uh, 
and uh, Dorothy's uh, daughter, Philadelphia Cousins, we call her Phila, is the other trustee. So the three trustees of the Julia Child Foundation is Alex Prudhomme, Phila Cousins, and myself. Okay. So we're very, you know, kind of very smallly, um, you know, led organization from a trustee level. I'm, of the three trustees, I'm the one that's really active in helping manage the, um, yes. uh, the, the organization. They have both very busy lives and couldn't do that. But um, And then we have a staff of two, Todd Shulkin and a woman named Lauren Selkhead, who's based in New York. Todd was recently in London, but now he's moved to L.A. Oh, L.A. area, that's Glendale. Good to know. Yeah. So now he's going to be more local and more visible probably, which is yes. great. Yeah. And Lauren is wonderful, and she's sort of our director of outreach. But the three of us really are the, you know, kind of day-to-day doing things for the foundation and and then what we try to do is we uh you know the goal is always just to continue how do we kind of continue to make julie's legacy understood um and through all these things we've been talking about realizing that julie's the top person that can do it the more Mm -hmm. we can get her on screen in front of people we win um Mm -hmm. but then it's also gifting monies out and so we've gifted over three million dollars to nonprofits. wow in the food world, and um, ranging from research to uh, supporting the Schlesinger where her papers are, to the mm-hmm. Smithsonian, but also to the nonprofits of each of the different Julia Child Award recipients. So okay. I mentioned that we're in year eight, but so the first year was Jacques Pepin, yes. the recipient. Worthy, a worthy recipient. And then Rick Bayless, and then yeah. Danny Meyer, and then Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger out of Los Angeles. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then Jose Andres. Uh, These are heavy, heavy hip, swingers. Right. Here. And then Daniel, uh, Tony, uh, Daniel Nirenberg, who is a food th- tank, food tank mm-hmm. who is just an amazing woman yeah. doing amazing things. Tony Tipton Martin, who yeah. is just an amazing woman. And, uh, and this year's Grace Young. So we have this lineup. So these are all diverse people. So it's not a chef award. Yeah. It's not a award for lifetime achievement because these are all people still firing on full cylinders. Right. Even Jacques, who is you know well into his 80s, is the most amazing man. He's mm. still going hard. And it was eight years ago we gave him the award. Uh, but so we have all those folks that are doing great things. But we've given fifty thousand dollars out to nonprofits for them to give to the different nonprofits and food-related areas. Of their choice. Of their choice. That is so cool. So this year, Grace Young is, we've generally only given out one $50,000 check at most two $25,000 checks Mm -hmm. to two different organizations. This year we're giving out to five. And it's because Grace is trying to, across the United States, support Chinatowns. Like the the specific ones, so San Francisco. San Francisco, Oakland. Yeah. You know, Hawaii, different locations, New York, Boston, Mm -hmm. wherever. And so we're going to be giving out monies, and we'll announce that a little bit more specifically uh, later this year. So I guess I'm giving a little tease on that. But but it just shows you the impact of our monies that go to validate these sometimes struggling nonprofits Mm -hmm. that are then can raise money off of the fact that the Julia Child Foundation – whether it be from the Julia Child Award or just different other grants we make, because uh, we make about $250,000 worth of grants each year. That's but so uh, we're trying to really make a difference. And we, we're a private foundation, so currently we don't actively fundraise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so where we make our money is through TV show royalties, mm-hmm. 
Mastering the Art of or an Oliver Cookbook royalties, oh, those types of things. That's, that's where awesome. we that's where we make our money. But we're looking at other ways to continually because we want to grow bigger and bigger. Yeah. So you know, fifty years from now, Julia is still making a difference. I mean, think about James Beard. Yep. The the association with him how that's developed into something that really has a specific, you know, so many of the people in the auditorium at the James Beard really don't know much about him, right. but there's a connection there with American excellence. And so yeah. Julia Child, it makes all the sense in the world to me that her name would be associated with something that also stands for American excellence. Yeah, exactly. And so if you see the, uh, the HBO Max series on Julia this year, uh, James Beard, it, he's, he's in that. Yeah. So you'll actually see him. And Julie and James knew each other quite well mm -hmm. um, and had a very good relationship. Although James had great you know, name recognition, he wasn't as natural on screen yeah, right. as Julia was. And, yeah. and that was just God-given by Julia. I mean, her preparation and her hard work, you, you, know, you, you earn that. But she also grew up in her own way with this sort of a comedic ability mm -hmm. but authenticity mm -hmm. and ability to connect with people that I'm not sure you can teach it's really yeah. something that was just given to her and she took full advantage of and it like a presence and also just I mean we all know Dan Aykroyd like the voice is right. something it's like its own character exactly in the show. yeah totally yeah um there was a summer uh Provence 1970 where um Julia Child James Beard who else MFK Fisher and is it Craig Claiborne? Uh, he or? may have been Craig, but yeah, there was, and that, some of that's on film. Right? Is that you? Oh, is it to? really? Some well, of I, read okay, I read the book. I read Provence yeah. 1970, and I yeah. could not believe that all those folks. They all were went in the over there place. for a purpose. Yeah, and that was some of that was filmed, and Julie was filmed, you know, some in France, uh, but never with intention. I don't think I could have this wrong. Um, Alex Prudhomme would know better, but I don't think it was in. It was going to be a lot of B-roll, I think, more than, mm. you know, A-roll type things. There were some A-roll expectations. But, yeah, so she did. And she spent a lot of summers in, in yeah. southern France at La Pichune, which mm -hmm. was, um, you know, this home that she never owned but was allowed to, in agreement with her co-author, uh, actually build a little home. And, and the agreement was when her and Paul were finished, she would just drop off the keys and give it back to the family. Gosh, and we should all be happened. so lucky. Yeah, it's, it's that old world sensibility mm -hmm. and, you know, morality and mm -hmm. your word is, you know, your word and you follow through on those types of things. Yeah. Well, just, you know, south of France, it, it seems to me 1970 south of France was an incubator for American uh, food people right the people who would come to define and align american food they were they were growing up so to speak in the early 70s in the south of france yeah. and julia was one of them and she'd already been successful i know but there was uh, a moment there where they were all just really blossoming in different ways yeah. with different things. Yeah, exciting time. I wish I could have been there. I was I only 10 know. years old at the right? time. Right, so. I know, I know. <laughs> well, so how was it for you to come on? How did you make the decision to come on with the foundation? Because it existed before you. Well, it did, but it didn't. Okay. In the sense of that Julia created the foundation in 1995, but it never became active. So it was $10,000 in a bank account, hmm. and that was it. 
and it stayed dormant until 2004 so nine years it was just sitting there waiting that upon her death what would happen would be that the her future royalties from her books and tv shows and her name and likeness would be placed into the foundation okay and then she named this foundation herself the julia child foundation for gastronomy and the culinary arts very long name yeah her lawyer has suggested the julia child foundation and she said no 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 I want everyone to understand what this is. But other than that, she gave us no directions. And so, um, you know, upon her death, you know, originally it was a lawyer of, of Julia's and Phila and myself, not Alex Prudhomme yet. And, um, and so, you know, I was asked to, you know, be the chair of it. And we had to first figure out what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of sort of, how do we figure out exactly what our mission is, yeah. which we came up with, which is really basically the way Julia lived her life, which was to educate and encourage everyone to appreciate the joys of cooking, eating, and drinking. Great. That's Love very it. simple. Yep. It's not fancy. So back to your, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy. Julia, when I, she and I were here in Santa Barbara together, she wanted me to take her out to Costco hot dogs. She wanted to go to In-N-Out Burgers. This woman. <laughs> but she also said, you know, she, we'd go to great, you know, more fancy restaurants. Sure, sure. But she thought a Costco hot dog was tremendous. Let me just agree with her on that. A buck fifty, <laughs> and they're not. You know, the prices are actually going up on things in the cafe right now, but yeah. not the hot dog. Good. Well, maybe right? that's Maybe that's in memory of Julia. I should Julia. call it the Julia dog. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And so. And so she always wanted to go out to Costco and get a hot dog and then go to a movie. She she was just <laughs> loved movies. She loved to watch movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we figured out over time what we wanted to do was, you know, that was our mission. We had the responsibility of her name of name and likeness, so her rights of personality. She in her lifetime had never endorsed products. So it was, there was never a Jewish held whisk or oven or, you know, she could have made a lot of money being a Julia Child butter. Can you imagine? Because right. Everybody thinks of Julian butter. Right. And so she chose not to. So we aren't legally bound, but we are, uh, I think, morally bound to do that the same in her death. So mm-hmm. post-death, we still choose not to endorse products. Mm-hmm. So how do you grow? And that's through all these TV shows and other things we're doing it, plus her old books and t- you know, her old TV shows. But we'll do other things. But so that's really the, the you know, the, what we've done is just sort of make sure that we don't do anything Julie wouldn't have done herself. Sure. And we found that to be very successful because it, it allows us to kind of just have that clarity of thinking of we're not doing this because somebody is offering us $100,000 yeah. or a million dollars or $5 million, which some people have offered us. Oh, my gosh. Uh, hard to say no to. Yeah, I'm hard sure. to. A little but sleepless we have, night. But we have stunned stood strong and mm-hmm. feel good about that but you know we uh so we're, we're we're based here in santa barbara california which is where julie wanted us to be and mm-hmm. uh where she wanted to be at end of life uh we're in this place where um you know we feel like julia chose this place so much based on some history like i said she summered in her youth mm-hmm. she wintered as an adult when she was living in cambridge she had a place mm-hmm. down by the biltmore Ugh. Um, so nice. You know, just a small apartment, but she and her husband had it. And then she chose to go to Casa Dorenda. So when we were thinking about balancing this Julia Child Award that we have every fall in Washington, D.C., we wanted to do a spring event somewhere. Mm. And we thought West Coast, 
we said, well, you know, maybe we should do it in Napa. We'd do it up at Copia. We could do down in L.A. And was like, no. No. You know, we've got to do it where Julia wanted to be and yeah. where I happen to live and love. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we really felt that was the right place to be. Yeah. And, and so we um, created this idea of the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience. And uh, we'd had a little dry run with something called the Santa Barbara Food and Wine Weekend out of Bacara. I don't know if you ever went to that. No. A couple years. Uh, but that was not as inclusive of the entire city and county as we wanted mm -hmm. it to be. So we rebranded it and rethought about it and re-envisioned it and, and created this Santa Barbara Culinary Experience. And we spent about a year and a half planning it with a great advisory committee. There's just incredible yeah. people from the... CEO of Visit Santa Barbara to Sherry Villanueva to Doug Marjoram to Mitchell at Bouchon to Matt Ketman at The Independent to, you know, um, lots Val Rice. We've got uh, Doug and Marnie Marjoram. We've got just so many different people on this committee that just have invested so much time. Yeah. And we planned this major event on March 13th through 15th, 2020. <laughs> God, it's the Great story. timing. Everybody has a story like that, yes. Great timing. Yeah, right. Um, and, and I went to your kickoff event, yeah. which was like announcing what this thing was. Right, August 15th, Julia's birthday. Exactly, right. right. You can see the Montecito Country Club from here. Yes, so. which, by, by the way, I'd never been in there before. And I had, you know, everybody sees it. It's so iconic up yeah. on the hill. And what it was the most perfect place for that event. Yeah. I mean, it just, it really aligns with Julia Child right. so much but yeah here you were announcing it. it was so exciting and then poor people spring of 2020 20. and so we had to what we called postpone it because you know back then you didn't know if it was two weeks or two months right. or two years we were postponing <laughs> everything yes and uh and then ended up you know not having it uh and then had a virtual set of events a bit in in 2021 trying to keep the brand and the awareness up and then came back uh, this past May um, with a week-long set of events that we're calling uh, Taste of Santa Barbara. The overall entity is Santa Barbara Culinary Experience. Mm -hmm. Currently, it's controlled and by the foundation. We want it to ultimately spin off and be its own thing, much like the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Yes, right. This thing that can help the entire community. And so the goal of the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, which would be broader than just a week-long set of events, is to really shine a light on the culinary and hospitality riches of mm -hmm. Santa Barbara City, but also county. So mm. include all the farmers, the fishermen, Wineries. the winemakers, mm -hmm. the cocktail bars, the hotels, the restaurants, and really shine a light on them and try to help them be known as much as they should be known as mm -hmm. sort of world-class you know, businesses, small businesses yeah. primarily. And so that's the goal. And so we set this out. And we, I think this year we did a good job. It was not as broad and deep as the March 2020 planned mm. event was because we didn't fully know if, you know, we we're going to have to, again, pull it back and no, everything else. It. But it was a great start. We have an executive director, Donna Yen, who does a lot of, who was doing all the events for Cherry Bomb. Do you know Cherry oh, Bomb? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, so she. That was the event planner then? Uh, yeah, she is the okay. executive director of the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience. Oh, she moved gosh, back from cool. New York, yeah. and she currently lives in L.A., but I am trying my best to make her move uh, to Santa Barbara, <laughs> and I think she's very That's interested in plug. doing that. 
but she's great, and we've got this amazing, you know, advisory committee, and so yeah. we already have our dates set for next year. Yeah, which what is are those? May fifteenth through twenty first, twenty twenty three. Okay. So it's the week and the weekend before the weekend of Memorial Weekend. That's good. That's a lot of weekends. Well, but, but yeah, that's but, good that it's not, you know, yeah, it works yeah. out. And that, and well, that, and this, and sorry to interrupt, but this past one, I was not able to come, but it was on my calendar, and I so desperately wanted to come here. Um, Dr. David Cleveland, who's been on this podcast, yeah, yeah. talking about um, the Santa Barbara uh, syndrome and just, you know, difficulties with supply lines. So you really do, you have him, and then you have, you know, Pascal is from Pascal's Kitchen who's right. talking about the art of home cooking. Yep. So you have this nice range of, you know, all of the issues, all the little branches um, yes, in, exactly. in food. And unfortunately, Dr. David Cleveland couldn't attend at the last moment. Oh, no. But, uh, but his spirit was there and the, the whole... Um, panel of rebuilding the food system. Yes. And Daniel Nirenberg from Food Tank traveled back. Right. We had Salud Carbajal. Inter- she interviewed Salud. Which is fantastic. Right. And then we had this wonderful diverse panel from somebody representing the Chumash community mm-hmm. to farmers to other folks, Ca- Santa Barbara County Food Action Network, et cetera. So you're clearly interested in diversity. And I'm sure your constituency, I mean, the people who support the foundation are too. Yeah. And so what we consciously chose to not call the Santa Barbara Culinary Experience a festival, mm-hmm. it's there's nothing wrong with a festival, but it connotes, it, it gives you an idea that maybe you're just going to be eating and drinking. Yeah. And Julie was an educator at heart. So we want people to enjoy the food, the wine, the cocktails, but we want panels, discussions, debates, and education around a range of different things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we really feel like that's what Julie would have enjoyed going to. That's what we like to do. Mm -hmm. So it may not be for everybody, but even if you only want to come eat and drink, there's aspects of you just do that. Yeah. But if you kind of wonk out and want to, you know, really get into rebuilding the food system or talk about regenerative agriculture or talk about, you know, climate change is associated with food. Equity. Yeah. Yeah. Diversity, equity. Exactly. All those sorts of things. And so the foundation is really kind of so excited about expanding the Santa Barbara culinary experience to become even bigger and broader because what our plan is to, over time, is to get enough sponsor dollars where we're throwing off positive cash flow. Mm-hmm. We, the foundation, have been absorbing some negative cash flow. I would believe that. Yeah. Although we did have some families, uh, friends of mine and others, that stepped up and we did have some great corporate sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but ultimately, we want to have enough where we're driving a lot of people to town. So it's helping the restaurants, hotels, everybody else. I was just meeting with um, uh, the new general manager at Maddie's Tavern. Oh, so Dave. Exciting, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Dave and his wife, Ann Elkin, um, she had already worked on the Santa Barbara Food and Wine Weekend when she worked at Bacara. So mm. knew all about it. He's coming on as an advisory committee member Excellent. as well. Yep. So we want to do stuff out, you know, in the valley. We want to do stuff in Kiwama. We want to do stuff all around. But the center of the week-long thing will be Santa Barbara. Sure. Maybe a little bit over into the valley. Yeah. But our goal is throw off enough positive um, proceeds that the SBCE, Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, can actually provide the foundation, the Julia Child Foundation, with some funds. And then we give back 
the majority of those monies mm. to nonprofits here locally. So we're cool. actually, it's a full circle thing where we want to actually support everybody in Santa Barbara County. Yeah. That's the goal. That's fantastic. And an ambitious goal, right? It I is. mean, it's. Yeah, it's, it's taking a lot of work and a lot of in, incredible people to do it. Yeah. Ugh, it sounds wonderful, though. And I feel so lucky that that's happening just up the road. Yeah. You know? So if anybody wants to see, uh, go and see information, maybe you can put yes, it on your please. thing. Yes, please, yeah. But SBCE, so Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, sbce.events is our website. Okay. You can also follow us on Instagram, mm -hmm. which Donna does at, Center, at SB Culinary Experience. Mm -hmm. But on the website, sbce.events, you'll see a little bit, the dates about 2023, yep. May 15th through 21st, but also... You can see up above, there's a tab that says Julia Child's Guide. Oh, yeah. And in that is a map. It's her, her favorite It's things. her spots all around Love it. Santa Barbara and a little bit into the valley. So mm -hmm. if somebody from outside of Santa Barbara who knows that Julia, doesn't know that Julia likes Super Rica Taqueria mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. but you would be able to find restaurants that she went to or the El Encanto, which is both a restaurant and a hotel, mm -hmm. uh, McConnell's ice cream she used to love. Right. She loved uh, Paradise Cafe, which is no longer Paradise That's Cafe, so but it's yeah. owned uh, by Sharon Villanueva. It's now La Paloma Cafe. Yeah. But there's, you know, in Bouchon, where Mitchell does such a great job. Yeah. So you can actually go on our website and actually p print out a map and you can see all the spots julie loved could do a little including, pilgrimage yeah do a little yeah so yeah. memory of julie Is costco on there yep and in Yay. and out baby <laughs> <laughs> you know she had great taste because those are good products yeah. right yeah i love absolutely. it absolutely that is so cool well thank you for sharing all of that about her um i do want to ask you i don't know if this is off limits um and we could take it out if we have to but i do know that you were with julia when julie powell called about um, getting permission, or not getting permission, I suppose. Um, it wasn't Julie Powell specifically, but somebody calling to say there's this new book. It's called Julie and Julia. Right, right. And that there was a lot of negative press around that, saying right. that Julia Child did not like the idea and kind of right. barked about it, which is inconsistent with her personality. Right. Yeah. And so I did read not too long ago that you were there when that phone call well, came. Well, I was, I was not there, but I was there. She was at our home the, a couple hours after she'd been called. Mm -hmm. So she came to our home for dinner. So we were in that dining room that you just saw. Yes. She, we were having dinner. And she said, this person called me from the press and wanted to know, you know, if, uh, you know, my thoughts on this woman that was blogging do you know and then she said what is a blog fair question right back then this is 2000 maybe three at the time probably yeah. um and they wanted me also to comment on you know this concept that she had cooked you know one of my recipes every day and she said i said i don't know what a blog is and i don't really know why anybody would want to do that but she never said i don't want to see this woman no, I, I i'm insulted by it no. she was more like wow but weird you know like <laughs> it is weird it's a weird idea although i will say it turned into a book that managed to weave it made me interested that i can trace it back to that that's where i got really interested in julia child yeah. i read my life in france because of julie powell's book yep um and you know and then it becomes a film and it engages a whole new group of people and 
Um, but my wife and I were there that evening when Julia came to us. I wasn't there next to her while she was oh, okay. t- while she was on the phone with the individual. But it was the same day. It was within hours. Yeah. And she was just eager to learn what a blog was, first of all. <laughs> Try to explain that. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah I would, I'm not sure we did a very good job. And my wife and I were there, and I forget who else was there at the dinner party. But, um, yeah, so Julia, no, she did not have a mean bone in her body. So yeah. she, the thing she just loved to do was meet people. So the one thing I would say about Julia that maybe some people don't know is that she didn't, even though she's such a personable person and public figure, she didn't like to talk about herself. Hmm. So she would deflect if she could. Mm -hmm. So if you came and sat one-on-one with her, like we were talking, she'd be deary, you know, tell me about yourself. She, she would, she'd take the interviewer role and Mm -hmm. you'd be the interviewee, even if you, if you were trying to interview her. Yeah. Hey now. Yeah. Uh, uh, So she, she was kind of that, she, for whatever reason, she, you know, was a little more personal and that's, you know, sort of, sort of not sharing as much, but it was mostly because I think she was interested in knowing people's stories and wanted to learn about them. Yeah. Well, and that sounds like it's a big part of the Santa Barbara culinary experience as well is some storytelling and, um, yeah, sharing the story of this place through the lens of somebody who really knew it and had a way with communicating it. Yeah, exactly. So the Thursday night before the the full weekend of the Santa Barbara Culinary Experiences. Last year, we had Phyla Cousins and uh, Alex Prudhomme, the two other trustees that are family members. We had a fireside chat at the Hilton, who was our lead hotel sponsor this past year. And you had people coming, and just everybody had their own Julia story they wanted Mm. to tell. Because if you ever met Julia, you think you had a real connection with her, Mm. and that she she would have probably remembered that connection, because that was how she... She was good with people, and so yeah. that was really special. But, you know, that continues today. So. Yeah, and even just talking to you, I feel like I have a connection to her. The fact that she was in this house is pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty so cool. Many, many times. She taught our children how to shuck oysters in, in that mm, kitchen. Love it. Um, and uh, and uh, we have so many good stories about her, but she, yeah, she's a wonderful person yep. and a good friend. Yeah. Um, let me ask you what I ask everybody at the end of an interview, if you, if it was the last day of your life, you wanted to celebrate because your life had been so good, which it, it would appear it's been so good, <laughs> um, so lovely, uh, what would you eat and what would you drink and who would be there? And if you don't say Julia Child at the end, I'd be very <laughs> disappointed in you. Well, if I can go back and, and, and she's alive or if we're all talking about spirits, then absolutely, Julia. Totally. I mean, it would be... Yeah, family and friends. I mean, that's it. Um, and it would be a small group. It wouldn't be a large group. Mm-hmm. But Julie would be there. Um, so what would I want for food and wine? So, yeah, and as I've told you, I, I've been very much involved in the wine industry in the yes. past. So I have a lot of wine aspects, but food as well. I think I'd probably start out with oysters. Mm-hmm. Probably um, Island Creek oysters out of out of Massachusetts, mm. which is, uh, I had a good friend that had a restaurant called Island Creek Oysters, and uh, he and his partner own a, an oyster farm there, and uh, just amazing. So really chilled mm. mm-hmm. oysters. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have champagne along with that. 
Good man. If we're getting really <laughs> fancy, I'd probably go to some nice French, but also I could very easily go to a sparkling one either from the Valley or mm -hmm. from up in Napa, Schramsburg. Mm -hmm. um, Maine? So, I, you know, the way I think I would do it is I would do a progressive dinner. I love those. So we would start in the kitchen, which you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would move to this room, the main room, which mm. we would have dinner, and we'd have a long table, mm -hmm. and um, I guess just a simple roast chicken with a sort of a charcuterie, ta you know, sort of a cheese and charcuterie, kind of not real warm, just kind of beyond room temp, but just slightly. Listen and to you. Just um, <laughs> I love it. have probably a Santa Rita Hill Chardonnay, nice. quite a fresh young, yes. whether that be Brewer Clifton, um, Melville. The star bright Chardonnay. Yeah, mm -hmm. just love those. Um, I would have also a red Pinot Noir, which I have one more bottle of, which I'll show you before you leave. Mm -hmm. And I have one that's been signed by Richard that we already had with Richard, wow. which was the 1976 Sanford Benedict Pinot Noir, which was, at the time I drank it last, which was probably 10 years ago, still was one of the best wines I've ever had. Like jamming, and it, yeah. And it is the most, it is what put uh, Santa Rita Hills on the map. It wasn't called Santa Rita Hills back then, but Richard's 1975, uh, which was very small production, not really fully commercial, but then the 76 was the first true commercial mm -hmm. wine, was just a stunning Pinot Noir. And so I would have that. Love that. So progressive. So where do we go? Oh, I go from there to out down below which you can I'll walk and show you there's the julia child roses we have in our garden oh of course oh, that's and cool. we'd sit there in next to the roses and uh have musa deal's um raspberry tart mm -hmm. musa deal was a was a, a restaurant in santa barbara on east coda street off mm -hmm. a state uh that was there probably late 70s into early 80s mm -hmm. So people that are longtime Santa Barbara people might remember that, but it's this, it's, it's this raspberry tart, mascarpone, sweet cream, mm. just those, those beautiful raspberries. Yeah. And then I'd pair that with a Louis Martini Moscato Amable, which <laughs> is just a perfect compliment. Uh, not well known, you have to buy it from the winery. They don't sell it other places. And it's sort of a slightly sweet but not overly sweet mm -hmm. spritzy moscato so that moscato with the with the raspberry tart would be just stunning yeah and a little effervescence yeah there. yeah and then you know you got to end the evening in the wine cellar with port port uh old vintage port uh some old like you know stilton type cheeses mm -hmm. But then also, I'd throw in a marjoram amaro, which is a oh, digestif. I'm not sure if you've had Doug Marjoram. I haven't had marjoram. his, no. It is just stunning. Mm -hmm. You should really try it. And so, finish that up in the wine cellar wearing uh, minks uh, that have been there forever, haven't been just recent, <laughs> so don't get mad at me. Um, and that progressive dinner would be sort of a nice way to, I guess, end life. Totally. That sounds like a very nice way to end life, yeah. Thank you for taking time with me. Thank you for letting me sit in this beautiful home in this beautiful place and talk about a beautiful person. Well, thank you so much. 
that's it for this episode of the Consumed Podcast. Consumed is produced and edited by me, Jamie Lewis. To learn more about my guests, to see their photos, to learn about live events, yes, live events, to join the Consumed mailing list, and more, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Thank you.